Hello everyone and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. This is a voice that most of you recognize if you're members of the Father's Church in Dallas or part of the Saints Network, but for those of you who perhaps stumbled onto this broadcast, my name is Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor here at the Father's Church in Dallas. And this broadcast is something that we do weekly here from the uh, from the sanctuary studio in in the Father's Church, and so it's a way where we reach out to our own congregation uh, here in Dallas and those that are connected with us in so many places, and we reach out to our Saints Network family. We talk about things that have to do with what our mission is. And uh, that mission is to be, first of all, born again through the blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, to be those who are students of the Word of God. Thirdly, to be intercessors, not just praying for a scad of needs that people contribute to us. They're never, never lack for those, but who pray in diversities of tongues unknown tongues, on our face before God, and then are careful to hear and to see what God would say. That The Bible does say, if you pray in an unknown tongue, that you, uh, you should interpret. And so we want to be cognizant of what God is doing. None of these things are weird. None of these things are odd. This is Bible 101. And if they seem odd or weird to you, then maybe you should read the word in places other than what you've underlined as promises or blessings. You know, God is about promises and blessings, but he's mostly about partnership, which is why he sent his son to die on a cross, to raise from the dead through the power of the Spirit and to ascend to heaven to the right hand of the Father so that you might be redeemed to the Father and to do greater works than he did. And greater is that word megas, or a derivative of megas that means you are going to be going to the uttermost parts of the world where Jesus, in the natural, with apologies to the Mormons, did not go. It's up to us to go into all the world. And not just birth babies in the kingdom, but to make disciples. And that's a mission that we have as well. And we're, we're blessed that the Lord has opened doors and given favor in a great number of nations. I, I hesitate to give a number because that sounds like you're bragging. But God has done the opening of the doors. God has made the appointments. And we're seeing the Spirit of the Lord move in powerful ways in on many continents, in many nations, and it's all about knowing God and doing the things that we have just said we should do, which is Bible 101. I, I know that there are so many Christians who are part of the general church. Many of them go to churches that have had adamant preaching against the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues, which is one of the greatest enemy strategies 
um, that has successfully pervaded the church over the past, oh God, hundreds of years. Uh, maybe you're one of those people. And I am, I'm simply reaching out to you. And I'm saying, God has put a hunger in your heart for more. More of Him. More of His Word. And it might be, just might be, the Spirit is asking you to do what Abram did and to step out from your comfort zone. Step out of the place which has nourished you and kept you. I'm not saying to abandon the Word. I'm not saying to abandon uh, relationships with people. I'm saying to abandon what you've been comfortable with and to launch out into the deep of what God has that's readily there in the Word. I think, you know, I've, I've been a student of the Scripture. I love the Word. I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to what other teachers are saying, frankly, because I wanted to assure my constituents that what I was hearing was based upon prayer and the ministry of the Word. Seems I've read about that concept before. Oh, yeah, where was that? Peter and John and James said, you deal with the mundane tasks of keeping the, the, the Grecian and the Hebraic women from arguing with each other and their contingencies from getting ready to come to fisticuffs. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. If you do that and you bypass all of the detour signs and the do not go there signs that uh, so much of uh, established traditional doctrine would, would post in the scripture, you're going to see that there are a lot of things that God says in his word, a lot of things that you've not experienced yet. God is no respecter of persons. And this isn't about experience, it's about partnership. It's about willing, being willing to allow the word of God to come alive in you. And, and I, when I did study the, uh, the doctrines of other denominations, I discovered that when it came to the things of the spirit, there were, they spent a whole lot more time trying to debunk what the scripture said than to actually understand what the scripture says. You know, that's the way it is. Sometimes if you ever gotten into a discussion with someone and their mind is already made up, and no matter what proof you give, no matter what statement you make, no matter what rational argument in love you may present, they're not buying it because it um, it threatens their narrative. And um, so I think that the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you today that the Word says that in the times of the end, everything's going to be shaken and what is really of God will remain. Maybe you should allow the Spirit to shake your ideology 
when you confront it with the Scripture. Maybe you ought to not be afraid of God and be willing to say, if it's in your word, make it alive in me. And I I believe that there are many, maybe someone listening to me right now, who loves the Lord, who wants God, who loves the Scripture. How about trusting all of those things and allowing the Scripture to come alive in you and see what this business of being filled with the Spirit is all about? See what this this practice of allowing your spirit to pray in unknown tongues. This is Scripture. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible. You know, when I first started to um, to be trained in ministry, I went to a college in a state that's in the center of the nation. And across town, there was a there was another college that trained men and women for ministry. Well, I don't know how much they trained women because at that time, they still weren't acknowledging that women could be pastors. But anytime you got around those people, they would immediately identify where we went to school and would start arguing with us. I mean, just openly, aggressively arguing about why we believed in speaking in tongues. And I thought, what what has possessed you to attack this Pentecost gift in this way? And, you know, I, I, I so it went from that adamant denial to what one of my parishioners gave me a book by someone who was in that movement, that particular slice of Christianity. Now their thing is, oh yes, that gift of tongues was prevalent in the early church, but it died out. It died out. Well, show me where that scripture says that it died out. Show me where that is. Uh, It may have died out because the enemy snuffed it out, caused people maybe like you to say, oh, you know, we don't need that. We don't, we don't need that. Um, I, I, I also thought it was very fascinating in, in reading this one article by a very intelligent individual that they said, the, the familiar, that which is perfect has come. Really? What might that be? I look around, I don't see a whole lot of perfection. If it's come... We better search it out and find it because we're, we're, keep, we're keeping on being changed from glory to glory, per- perfected. And even at that time, what more perfect could have come than Jesus and the tongues of fire? So if, if that argument is true, then immediately after the days of Pentecost, tongues should have been done. Because that which is perfect had already come. The Savior had risen to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Ghost was poured out. Go into all the world. You know? So that argument is bogus. In fact, every argument 
that I have ever heard or read against speaking in tongues, moving in the things of the Spirit that are just openly discussed in the Scripture. Every argument that I've heard is paper thin, and it's, it's nonsense trying to defend a, an ideology that is just not scriptural. So maybe, I'm going to remove that word maybe. I believe that some of you may be listening to this today. And this is a word from God for you. God knows how much you love him. God knows how much you love his word. God knows what a special and um, unparalleled creation you are placed in this world for these last days. I believe all those things too. And it it's probable that he's saying to you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And, and say to me, I read this in your scripture. So it's not demonic. I read this in your word. And I don't just see it in one place. I see it here. I see it here. I see it here. I see it here. And if you want to talk about the mouth of two or three witnesses, there you have it. Um, make it real to me. Now, here's another thing. There have been instances where the Spirit of the Lord has come upon good, godly, born-again people. And it's been somewhat of a surprise. A very dear friend of mine who is not part of my congregation, but he's been a, a, a friend of mine for well over 20 years. And he was and is a Southern Baptist. Now, there are all kinds of Southern Baptists. There, there, you can't swing a paper bag over your head without hitting some brand of the Baptist. And... Um, I appreciate the doctrinal foundations that have been provided by godly scholars. But anyway, this, this friend, um, he knew that I was a pastor from a Pentecostal church. He knew that I was um, being called with my congregation and our network to go into nations all over the world. And he knew what we were preaching. In fact, he would talk to me about um, different things that were going on in the world, different things that I had seen in the way churches moved in Africa and in India and in Europe and in South America and other places where we've been. And, and it really is eye-opening to, to travel because it takes you out of the little bubble that we as Americans live in and your little four-walled, 10,000-member church live in. Well, not everything is as simple as the, the Baptist Quarterly says. And I would say the same thing about the Assemblies of God or the Kajic Churches or Foursquare. We all need more of God. 
And if we think we've got all the gospel, we better think again, because God always has more. He is more. So anyway, one time I went to see my friend. We were having coffee, and he told me, let me tell you what happened to me last night in the middle of the night. He said, I woke up, and I felt the Spirit of God on me, and I just began to speak in, in unknown tongues. And he said, it was wonderful. Nobody preached to him. Nobody laid hands on him. He'd heard all the sermons about how that's not for the day. It's the last belch of Satan. You know, it's died out with the apostles. But yet, here was the Spirit touching him. Now, that can happen. But if you're waiting on that to happen... You may have a long wait. It might be easier for you to say, Father, I see this in your word. And I, I don't want to resist this. I believe this is of you. Don't say if this is of you. If you see it in the word, it's of God. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians that when we pray in an unknown tongues, my spirit prays. Do you know that each of you has a deposit of the spirit of God within you? Every person does. Every human being does. And that's what gives them life. That's what gives them life. When we die, if we believe what the scripture says on many occasions, including, and most importantly, the testimony of our Lord's death on the cross, when we die, that spirit goes back to God. When we accept Christ as our Lord and we're born again through his blood, through faith, that spirit is born again. It becomes alive. What God wants to fulfill through you in your life then is online, for want of a better term. And it's up to you then to allow that spirit to communicate what are the things about unknown tongues that the scripture says. You speak not to people but to God. You speak his mysteries. You are being built up the architectural plan or the 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 heritage that God wants to fulfill through you, according to Jude 20, is built up and developed as you pray in the Spirit. And there, the list goes on of things that the Bible clearly says happens when you allow your spirit, the spirit within, only born again through the blood of Jesus, to live and to function. It's the core of who you are. And so many places in the natural realm, we recognize that the core of the person's body is the strength. Whether you're a singer or a public speaker and the diaphragm has to be strong so that you project, whether you are doing exercise or martial arts or some kind of balance beam thing, that core is essential. Even in wrestling, that core is essential. In so many ways, that core is essential. It's essential. Why is that? not just from a physiological standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. In the Old Testament, the Bible speaks of this place as the ma'ah or the ma'eh place, the, 
bowels that are moved within us when the spirit comes. And that's a, that's a wonderful study. You could do that. You won't find that in the Baptist quarterly, but there it is. Study it out in the scripture. You have wonderful Bible programs now. Let the Bible speak to you. And then in the New Testament, some of the things we've just mentioned about being born again, coming alive in the spirit, letting that spirit be developed, they they happen if you ardently pursue the development of that scripturally and functionally. Another study we've done recently, over the past couple of years, is uh, the connection in a Greek word known as friend, P-H-R-E-N. And that word was borrowed and utilized in the medical community to describe an area in our spine, up in the neck, that controls our breathing. Controls the breathing. And that word is used in the New Testament to describe how we live, how we breathe for the Lord. Our understanding of the deeper things of the scripture is used, is depicted by the utilization of that word. Our passions for God is depicted by the utilization of that word, and so forth. So when, when you recognize that when you're born again in spirit and in truth, that then you have a responsibility to allow that inner man, that inner spirit, to function. Oh yeah, you can just say, "I'm yeah okay, I'm I'm born again." Great. That's the most important decision you will ever make. It's essential. We're not denigrating or diminishing it. I remember when we got the left foot of fellowship from a Pentecostal denomination. The leader here in North Texas came, and uh, he heard that we were. Um, praying in diversities of tongues, and that we, some of our people would do what the Bible says, and during our worship times, they would dance before the Lord, and they would, we learned uh, from the scripture about prophesying to people, and, you know, and his response was, I'd like to hear a little more about Jesus. I always remember that. And I thought, everything we're doing is because of Jesus. Everything we're doing is because Jesus is praying for us to fulfill the will of our Father, to become sons, to do the work of the saints. This is Jesus 101, that we might know the Father, that we might be redeemed to the Father, that we might be those who will uh, be serving the business of our Father. That, that we would know the Father as Jesus did at the foundation of the world. The same participation in the glory that Jesus knew, he prays and is praying that we might know that. So you want to hear more about Jesus? Well, how about let's, let's start partnering with Jesus? How about let's start doing what Jesus is praying? Some of you, he's praying for really hard. And I know it must be exasperating for him. Boy, I'm I'm gotten off into preaching here. I didn't intend to be saying any of this stuff. I have a really cool message to bring. Maybe we'll get to it, but not yet. So you need to allow the Spirit of God within you to function and to fulfill 
your identity, your calling, your unique calling as individuals from God. You alone can provide what God created you to be. Do you realize that? So let's stop living below our inheritance in God and let's start being people, let's check it off, who are born again, who love God, who study the Word, who want to know more of God and more of the Word. Let's start fulfilling our inheritance as sons and as saints before God. And let's let the Spirit begin to move through us and in us. Now, that's a big question because, you know, when I was raised in a Pentecostal church, we were under the impression that if if you were going to speak in tongues, the Spirit had to come on you. Some dollop of the Spirit of God would visit you. And then you'd feel you'd feel funny, maybe, and you'd begin to speak in tongues. But if that didn't happen, you didn't speak in tongues. You know how ridiculous that is, especially when the Word says that when you speak in tongues, it's not just because God decided to give you an outpouring, but that it is your spirit, the Spirit of God within that's born again through Christ. It's your spirit that prays. And then there were those who would be really confused about how what I just said about the spirit within, how that would partner with God's presence coming into a place or God's spirit coming upon a person for a certain task. There's no confusion in that at all. No, no confusion. Let's look at it from this illustration. Let's say... You're a soldier, and all of us should be soldiers for Christ. But let's say you're a soldier in the natural. You have a specific identity as a soldier, to be trained, to be strong, to be skilled. But then you have a designation for what you're supposed to be doing. These are your responsibility, aren't they? You, you, you have to work and be a good soldier. You you have to do that. It's up to you. You know, the staff sergeant can kick you in hiney and make you do what you're supposed to do, but eventually it's on you. And if you need Sergeant Carter, Sergeant Carter, to be behind you, making you be a soldier, I wouldn't want to go to war with you. Well, I might want to go to war with you. I just wouldn't want you on the same team. So we have that responsibility. But then let's say that suddenly the armed forces send a battalion to help us or there's a mandate from the president to do a certain thing and suddenly you have an influx of supply and uh, other troops and, you know, you have armored personnel carriers and you have tanks and you have all these things that are coming in. If you wait for them to get there to be a soldier, you're probably already dead. Sometimes we have to come to the realization that we have The kingdom of God is within us. That's what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is within you. 
And it's your responsibility to partner with God through the blood of Jesus in relationship with the Father to let that be developed. Nobody can do that for you. See, we grew up in church thinking that the pastor was going to take care of all these things. And... Um, or some real spiritual person in the church would take care of some of these things. Well, those, those are wonderful additions to any church. But the point is that you must be, you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to bear your own burden before you can help bear anybody else's. The scriptures bear that out. I'm not taking them out of context. So you be strong. It's a, the, the analogy goes to sports. It goes to teams. It goes to every enterprise. The old thing, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Boy, that's true. How about if every link is strong? How about if every joint supplies? So if you've got the Spirit of God within you, and you should, if you're alive, and it's born again, and you're functioning, and you're communing with the Father, and you're fulfilling what He's asked you to do, and you're just having a wonderful time with God. That's terrific. Could God then, in His magnanimity, pour out the Spirit upon a certain place? Does it confuse you that God's Spirit could be in you? And that God is big enough that he could be doing something additionally there? See, that's another problem that Pentecostals have. They just like to run to every, 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 uh, every outpouring of the Spirit. And when you, but when you talk to a lot of these people, and we have, about what we've just been saying, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do that. That's too much work. You know who's going to be thriving in the times of the end, and we're in them. It's those people who stand with God as sons, as heirs, as joint heirs. And that speaks of you being developed as those who are faithful, as those who hear the call and obey. You're faithful in the small things. He makes you ruler over many. You grow and you advance and you develop as a, as a good soldier fighting the good fight of faith. And then that kind of person can move fluidly where there's an outpouring of the Spirit. But that's not our source. Our source is within. Our source is with our Father. And there's no competition between the two. That's why you look in the Old Testament and you see people before the cross of Christ, before the outpouring of the Spirit. And the Spirit would come upon this one, or God would put his spirit within this guy with spirit of wisdom and understanding to accomplish tasks or God's spirit would come upon a place and everybody was knocked out and then somebody had to get up and minister. That's wonderful. That's the same God. But if you're counting on the three-run homer and you're just letting your own spiritual condition languish, And if you're going to a church where pastors are saying, oh, no, 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 no. You don't want to move in the things of the Spirit. That expired during the apostolic days. We just need the Word today. That's like saying you need the manual, but don't open the manual. God forbid you turn a page and see something that's possible for your equipment. Don't do it. 
That's the enemy. <laughs> you see how ridiculous that is? And the enemy just loves that. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to talk to him about it. But I know that it deprives the kingdom. And then, okay, let's talk about this. Now, we as saints, a big discussion that we've had with our Brazilian folks, and it's ongoing, is what's, first of all, that you don't have to wait for some once-in-a-blue-moon visitation of the Spirit to speak in tongues. And when you do speak in unknown tongues, it's your spirit that prays. Very simple. If you just clear away the clutter of all the nonsense that you may have been trained to think, tradition, old brother so-and-so saying this because, bless his heart, he didn't have an understanding of it, or maybe he was threatened by it. You know, some people, some pastors don't want their people moving in the spirit because of two reasons. Number one, that would put the heat on that pastor to move in the spirit. And number two, you don't want a bunch of people running around in your church thinking they, they're they a bigger spiritual influence than the leadership. You can't control them unless they're trained properly. And some people just are untrainable. They're rogues. I know that. But that's like saying, well, you know, I don't want to drive a car because I read that somebody up in Plano had a wreck. You know, my father believed he didn't want to fly in an airplane. He believed that scripture low. I am with you always. Just joking. But my father petrified to fly in a plane. Here his little boy is flying 140,000 miles a year in planes. God's always with us. But you use one negative example or one wacko to try to keep everybody from doing what they're supposed to do. So there is, there is the business of praying in the Spirit. And I think that that gift is for you to serve on behalf of who you are in God, who he created you to be, what unique things he wants to share with you as you pray mysteries before him and you're learning and you're, you're, you're speaking the exact things that need to be said. You're, you're remedying iniquities or those, those areas that are, have form and not function. That's what the word means. But then the nine grace gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians. You know what they are. The nine gifts of the Spirit. You know, you got faith. Well, does that destroy regular faith? You better not. You have prophecy. Well, wait a second. We're, we're all supposed to covet to prophecy. Covet to prophesy. So what's this grace gift of prophecy? And so on. It goes down the list. One of them is diversities of tongues. It's a grace gift, which means there's something that God will enable you to do if you're willing to accept this calling so that then you're praying beyond yourself. You're not abandoning yourself, but you're praying beyond yourself to extend to what the throne of grace is doing. And that's what unlocks all of those gifts of the Spirit. They are, they are exceptional offerings from God upon people who love God who are already doing the things that they're supposed to do in God. And then God extends and says, I need a partner in grace. Are you willing? Are you willing to do what 
what all you're already doing, but will you extend yourself to partner with me in grace? And you say, yes, Lord. We did that. The first gift we got as Pentecostal people was this gift of diversities of tongues. Genos Lelia, where it addresses things that are foundational. Genos, you think about that. That's nations, it's genetics, it's genes, it's genealogy. It, how many ways do we use that Greek uh, foundational root? But we're praying with God in diversities of tongues, many different languages, the language of men, the languages of angels, uh, the languages of the spirit realm. There are so many ways that God's spirit utilizes uh, uh, diversities of tongues. Languages are power, which is why in the Tower of Babel, God came down, he looked, and he said, look what these people are doing. They're of one language. we got to split these languages and split them up because there's power in this. There's power in languages. And you say, oh, I don't know about all these languages. You know, when in Brazil, we discovered that there were over 3,000 languages that were spoken in Brazil. Many of them have died out. What about all the languages that were here in the North American continent? You know, there was a big battle linguistically and governmentally in France as to the fact that French was going to be the official language. My daughter taught French for many, many years, uh, studied about this and taught about this. And there were so many sub-languages that were basically eliminated. So there are lots of languages and every one of them has power before God. I don't know how that is, but I do know that sometimes diversities of tongues, there'll be a language that the Spirit begins to come utilize you to speak that has a dynamic impact on what you're praying about. So diversities of tongues is a grace gift. It does not destroy your normative function in tongues, even though I have to admit, I remember the unknown tongue that I spoke in for many decades. Every now and then, I'll recognize that I'm praying in that tongue. It, as once in a long, long time, this happens. Most of what I do now is I speak in diversities of tongues. And this is scriptural. If you were to line out which we've done, what the Apostle Paul said about the fivefold offices, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, and you list out the progression of these when he mentions it, we've discovered that in one of his lists, and alluded to in another one, is that diversities of tongues, governments, and helps fall into the aspect of the pastoral office, which means that every church should have an active function, functionality in diversities of tongues. Every church should have uh, their individuals that God has put in that church being developed in their individual offices and capacities. That's what governments is. Learning who you are, being accepting of who you are, doing that work, and then uh, helps, which is basically 
being willing to change the hands, being willing to, to, we've been doing things this way. Now the spirit is saying we need to augment or we need to adjust. It doesn't mean that you abandon the scripture, but you don't do the same old things in the same old way over and over again, no matter how successful they are. You know, that's another aspect of uh, the communion table. The table of grace, Eucharistia. It's not a mournful looking back. It's an empowerment to go forward in grace. Grace is always moving upward. It's moving forward. It's into new horizons. That's grace. It's not a dollop of favor that drops on your head. And then you can sing about amazing grace. Like you, you stumbled upon a leprechaun in a field. Oh, God's grace came upon me. Grace is an active participation of partnership with God in moving forward. We should grow in grace. How do you grow in grace if it's just some dollop of favor that comes down every now and then? Now, I watch my grandkids growing, and boy, are they growing fast. Wonderful kids. What if they just sat around and thought, well, you know, I, I'm not growing. Why not? Well, I haven't had a dollop of grace fall on me yet. I can't grow. No, no, no. You should be growing. Grace is moving forward. It's not a serendipitous occasion. It's not uh, some kind of a, um, of, a, of a surprise. Grace is a partnership in going forward. So you grow in grace. And that table of the Lord, which is the Eucharist, the good grace of God, is an empowerment of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus and our part, our role, as being the body of Christ who commune with the Father. There's also the, the, the sop, the bowl of, of bitterness that's there, which has basically been eliminated from mo just about all of uh, Christianity but it's there anyway where you need to come to grips with your own bitterness because your bitterness can destroy whatever measure of grace God wants to put you on. But that's another message. Now, one of the things about grace at that table is that I think even the old school traditionalists would say that the bread has to be unleavened. What does that mean? Is it legalism? Or does it say, no yeast from your past? Don't be dragging in the yeast from some successful campaign you had a hundred years ago. Don't do it. God doesn't want any yeast because he wants you to embrace the new with him. And only God can do that. You know, um, one time I was in Dublin, and I I don't drink beer. I just never liked beer. Plus, it was a sin when I was growing up. So that was a blessing for me. To have something considered a sin that you didn't like anyway. Well, that's a double, that's a double whammy of blessing. But anyway, I went through the Guinness factory in Dublin, and... Um, they were bragging about the fact that they had preserved the same yeast for hundreds of years. They kept it in a, like a, a bat cave kind of a, of a 
of a preservation unit. And it's kind of cool. They said, we're doing this so that we can maintain the consistency of this brew. So when you taste Guinness, if you were 10 years from now, it should be the same quality and vintage as 20 years ago. Wow, what a great thing. And I thought about that as I was standing there listening to this guy with his Irish brogue talk about this, and I thought, that's the way a lot of churches are. They hit the bonanza a number of years ago, built a big, few big barns, and they say, hey, this is a workable formula. Let's just keep doing this same thing over and over again. Famous last words of any church, we've never done it that way before. Let's just keep doing it this way. Well, that's also the death knell of business. You know, corporations are continually innovating. Either that or they get bypassed. Jesus said that the children of mammon are wiser in the things of righteousness than the children of God. That's probably what he meant. And so... When we come to the table of grace, we should be saying, Father, what do, you, what do you expect of me today? How do you want to commune with me? How does the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus empower me and activate me? How does that sprinkling touch the, the specific places in my life that you want to invigorate and awaken for the glory? How, how, how do you want to do this in me? I'm submitting myself to you in grace. And, and I'm doing away. I ask you to cleanse me from places where I can get offended, where I can be bitter, where iniquities can rise up and make me vulnerable to an enemy um, subplot to take me out of grace. Now, you know, in Hebrews it says that those who fail in grace will engender a root of what? Bitterness that will defile themselves and defile many. So bitterness is the enemy of grace. And right there at that table, at the, in the, uh, it, 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 look at the Last Supper, what's known as the Last Supper. Judas has his hand in the bowl of sop with Jesus. At that point, he could have, he could have surrendered whatever his bitterness was that, that the enemy got a hold of um, in concocting that scheme with the Sanhedrin. But instead, he took his hand out of the bowl. He was determined to do what he was going to do to betray Jesus. And the word says that the enemy entered into him. Now, there were twice that the enemy entered into him. That's in the scripture. Look it up. The first was when the scheme was being concocted. The second was after he rejected the opportunity to come clean with the Lord. That's a lesson for us. So, where are you in this? Again, I speak to someone that may be tuning in here. Are you willing to really know God? Are you really willing to step into the depth of his word? Are you really willing to let him fulfill your identity and your calling that your spirit is passionately desiring you to become for the kingdom's sake? 
But let God do that in you. And again, I'm not preaching some wacky scheme that I dug up under a tree on tablets that an angel supposedly wrote. I'm just talking, I'm, I'm even talking the King James Version, the same, the same uh, version that the Apostle Paul carried. <laughs> just joking. Oh my goodness. It's not some wacky, fiery, passionate, new, new and improved version, whatever's coming. I'm just talking the original languages, what's there. This is for you. And you've tuned in here today, and I pray that you will let the Spirit of the Lord confirm whether this is a word from God for you or not. I believe that it is. Now let me just take, while I'm on this stream, let me just take a moment to speak to my congregation and to our Saints Network family. The things that God is doing right now on behalf of nations that we have a responsibility for, our children in the faith, require you to be what you're supposed to be. You can become so complacent with the things that God has given you that they die out. Now I know, I know that a number of you are in that condition. And I don't, I'm not inviting you to write me an email and say, Pastor, is it me? You know good and darn well if it's you or not, or and if you're thinking about writing to ask me, you already know you're in that condition. What's the antidote? What's the solution? Be what you're supposed to be. Take that time to pray in the Spirit every day. Take that time to study the Word. For goodness sake, take the time to stay current with what God is sharing readily available for you on this website, on Spotify. And I've joked and I've said this, you can even listen to it at double speed and you'll be able to understand it. What's holding you back? You can tell me everything that Downton Abbey's doing. You can tell me everything that the Marvel comic books are doing. But it's been weeks since some of you have actually listened to, and it's a miracle you're listening today. Be what you're supposed to be. And it's not about me. It's about all of us staying current with what God's asking all of us to do. Now, I could scare you, which is not my intent. We want to be proactive, not reactive. We want to move on behalf of the agape of the Lord, not in fear. But in these days, you know, the Bible says that the Bible says that the people of God will have to deal with the Amalekites from generation to generation. What, are, what does that mean? Well, the Amalekites, God hates the Amalekites. The scripture says, oh, God hates somebody. He hates what they do. They were famous for being marauders. They didn't 
come in a direct battle to confront armies. They would attack the weak. They would attack the fringe. They would attack the rear of the camp. And that's happening. You, this is, again, this is not fear. Don't, let me just say this. Where are you in the camp? Are you in the camp? Are you in the fringe? Are you back in the lazy boys at the back of the, of, of the, of the tribes as they move forward? Are you, um, have you left the wagon train? Have you skedaddled out on your own? I can hear in that old wagon train show Ward Bond saying, you better not leave this trail. There are unfriendlies around. Not talking fear. But the enemy hates what God has called you to be and to do. The enemy hates what we've been commissioned to do as saints. So just be what you're supposed to be. I don't care what the enemy has tried to utilize on you to keep you from functioning in what you're supposed to be. Is it, oh, poor me? Is it, I'm tired? Is it, they don't love me? Is it, well, nobody knows whether I'm there or not? Is it, well, I, I can forsake the assembling of myself together because in the New Testament, they didn't have the internet. You float that one by the Lord and see what he says. There are a lot of people that have been taking direct hits because you're straggling. And if you expect the pastor to leave the point, to come back and get your, well, I almost said something I shouldn't say on this sacred desk, but to get you back in line, you better think again. I'm the leader. Which way did they go? Follow me as we follow Christ. And I have to do these same things. I, I, I have to continually judge myself. And honestly, honestly, which I know is rare for a preacher to, to say, because you think that really the great preachers never have moments like this. Wake up. There are days that I know I didn't spend enough time with the Lord. Sometimes I'm just exhausted, like when we came off this Brazilian trip. Sometimes it's because I've got, like today, from early morning until this evening, responsibilities. I have to make time. Oh, you say, oh, I've got kids, I've got work, I've got a husband, I've got a wife. Do you think God didn't know that? Do you think God didn't bless you with that? You think he says, okay, well, I'm going to give you these blessings knowing full well that when I bless you in this way, it's going to deprive you of time to be with me. Do you think God did that? I know he didn't. So you've got to, you've got to judge yourself, not harshly, but how do you judge yourself? What do I need to do? Some of you are fitness fanatics. Bless you. I'm not a fitness fanatic, but I know that there are exercises I have to do every day. And there 
There's some days I do not want to do them, especially when I'm traveling. I don't want to do them. But boy, it doesn't matter whether I got to bed at one o'clock after a full day and night of ministry, and I've got to meet somebody at seven o'clock in the morning. I've got four hours sleep. Do those exercises. And I know if I don't, I'm going to suffer because my body won't be in, in the shape it should be in. Many of you know that same curriculum. Well, what about your spiritual life? Do you have that same ardor for staying strong in the Lord? We better because we were made for this. Because God loves us and he wants us and we want him. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. The, the, the in this world part is really easy. Some of us have become so much in this world that we smell of it and we look of it. We've got to die daily and we've got to be not of this world. You know, there's a way that you can be functional in this world and be loving and be caring and so yourself, but it's up to you to not be of this world. You're of another kingdom. And you've got to do the things that you know you've got to do to function effectively on behalf of what God has put you on this earth and gave himself so that you could function in. It's up to you. I... I uh, and years ago, I made the statement, it got me in trouble with a lot of purists, that God really didn't favor the, um, the American ideal of revival. And what did I mean by that? The American ideal of revival was that every year, maybe in the summertime, you'd have revival meetings. People would come and they would get right with God. And they'd make commitments like New Year's, um, New Year's proposals. And then they'd drift off back into the world. And then they'd come back around and have revival again. Even we do that in many ways during the week. We had, would have Wednesday night service and people would get up and said, Well, bless God, I, I was with the Lord on Sunday. What a wonderful time. And then Monday and Tuesday it just drug me down. I had to come here tonight. The devil's been after me all week long. Bless his holy name. And here I am. I understand there's a refreshing to being among the people of God. At least there should be. But if you're just going from, <laughs> from some infusion to the next infusion, and what about those middle days? What are you doing? You just get in a canteen full of water and then you portion that off through the next few days and then you come in and drips on Wednesday and then you fill up again and then you, you are you in the desert? Well, maybe, maybe you are in the wilderness, but you, you should be making wells. You should be, I'm not saying it's easy, but you should be functioning. So wake up and be that because again, 
I'm telling you, what we're doing now, the way God is opening up these nations, the incredible things that God is doing, incredible things, you better not be messing around. You better be what you're called to be. Why? Because God made you for this. You're missing out. That's the motive. To serve the one who sent me and gave his life for me. But even if that doesn't motivate you, are you getting whacked? Are you getting overwhelmed? It may not be because the pastor doesn't love you anymore. They don't care. It may be because it's been a long time since you've actually functioned. And you're out of ammo. You're out of supply. And it's been by your choice. And here come the Amalekites. God loves you very much. These are special days. And it's not too late for those of you who maybe have never experienced the things of the Spirit or those of you who have and have let your, your grip slip. You become lax. It's not too late to be everything God wants you to be. He, he wants all of us to know him, to love him, to thrive in his word, and to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, heirs and joint heirs with Christ, touching this world for the kingdom. That's you. That's me. So no matter who you are in this spectrum, don't miss what God put you on this earth to be and what he gave his life for you to enjoy in him. This Saturday is first Saturday. We are in the month of December beginning tomorrow? I think so. Somebody saying, yes it is, yes it is. Well, let me just look. I just want to verify it just to make sure I'm saying what's right. No, it's Friday. There you go. But definitely Saturday is December 2nd. So what that means is first Saturday prayer. The directive should be coming out to those of you who are parts of the Saints Network and of this church. Um, but we encourage you to come before the throne and whatever time you can, here at the Father's Church, we meet during the morning, uh, but I know everybody has their own time agenda in, in across the network. Be faithful to submit whatever insights God gives you from that prayer time. And then that culmination of words will be posted on this website within the next week or two. We would do it Monday, but you can't produce the report until all the results are in and sometimes people are a little bit slow with that i understand it but the point the important point is prayer so let's just be faithful and uh, let's let's meet together in prayer thanks this broadcast really took off i didn't i didn't get to the message that i had prepared but i do believe that what we said today was what god had in mind He's funny about that kind of thing. He wants obedience. 
And I'm more than willing to go with what the Lord is saying at the last minute. Um, there'll be time for the other lesson that I was going to bring. Believe it. So thank you. Let's spend time with the Lord. God loves you. God bless you. Goodbye.